Hello and welcome to Grace Life Tigerberg. We are a gospel-centered church family focused on reaching the unreached and making disciples. We pray this teaching will help you to grow in your relationship with Jesus and discover more of the reality of Christianity. And this morning, we're going to continue on this journey and we're looking at the picture of victorious living is a choice. And uh, every one of us here this morning, throughout life, life is, is, consists of a series of decisions, different decisions. And um, some decisions we make, and then others we need to make in light of decisions other people are making, right? In the sense that people could be choosing to do things to you, and then you have a choice as to how you're going to respond to that. So again, that is a choice. That's a decision that we need to make. And God has given us that freedom and the empowering to even in the midst of chaos, in the midst of troubling circumstances. Jesus told his disciples the, 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 the night before um, his crucifixion, do not let your heart be troubled, for I have overcome. So there's a blessing in that, knowing that Jesus is victorious. He reigned victorious. And even in the midst of us denying Jesus or, or failing him time after time after time, he remains faithful. And we can cling to that. We can hold to that and experience victorious living. But life consists of a series of decisions. And we get to determine the decisions we're making in this life. As we, as we saw last week, the greatest decision for victory lies in our faith in Jesus. The greatest decision for victory in light of this topic lies in putting your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ. But then from that moment onwards, just because you've received the Spirit of God doesn't mean that you by default now going to live as a child of God. There's a maturing in that reality. There's a growing up in that reality that each one of us gets to purpose. Each one of us gets to decide and determine. And that's why we come to church, right? Or that's at least why I'm here. I don't know why you're here. We're here to gather to grow in our relationship with God. The truth and the reality of who Christ is. Grow in our relationship with one another as well. To be equipped to live the abundant life in Christ. To partake together of the Spirit. So this is training ground. This is a, a safe place where we get to step out and minister to one another. Be vulnerable. So we can go into this world and actually impact it. And eradicate darkness. Not all Christians are enjoying the same degree of, of victory. Not because God loves some more and others less, but because all of us have got free will. And we've got decisions to make. Every decision we're making is either facilitating more or less victory. Every decision that we're making. There isn't, this is challenging, there's no decision that you would ever make that is just going to set you in a place of neutral. It's either more victory, facilitating more victory, or facilitating less victory. That's, that's a heavy truth. Every decision you make in life has got a consequence. And that consequence is a, a facilitation of more victory to be enjoyed or a facilitation of less victory to be enjoyed. One of the, the, the truths to, to support that statement is, and Peter says that, uh, be vigilant, be aware. Your adversary, you've got an adversary, if you didn't know. Your adversary... The devil is prowling around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. So he's on that. He's he's, he's out there, ready to uh, to get you. But you need, you don't need to be afraid of that lion because he's a toothless pussycat. 
Stop, stop thinking of, of Satan the devil and his schemes as all powerful and greater than you. Jesus overcame him. He's defeated. He doesn't have a foot to stand on. We need to become bold in the truth and the reality of who we are, whose we are, and that Satan doesn't have anything to use against us apart from deception. So let's not be deceived. Let's not be ignorant. Let's not get caught off guard in this life. Let's make decisions that line up with and is facilitating this victory that Christ came to purchase for us. Romans 8, 38-39 from the King James, it says, For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height or depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I'm persuaded. Now it's one thing to say that you're persuaded, it's another thing to live that you're persuaded. And Paul lived it. We can see it, it's recorded for us. Paul lived it. Many other brothers and sisters in Christ who's gone before us lived it. Many brothers and sisters in Christ in this family is living it. But we need to become persuaded of what? Nothing in this world can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We are inseparable with God. That's the reality of Christianity. But religion, and so much out there, tries to communicate and deceive us from, from thinking that if I sin or if I do this, then God separates himself from me. Like in the Old Testament, God's Spirit came and God's Spirit gone. And so people haven't forgotten that and they're still clinging to that mindset, thinking that if I do good, then God is more present. If I do bad, then He's kind of like, oh, I can't deal with that. So I'm going to just go on vacation for a little bit. You sort out yourself and then I'll come back when you're clean and squeaky and all of that. Man, that's such a lie, such an illogical way of thinking even. And so we need to become persuaded of this very truth as a foundation that we are inseparable with God. We are one with Christ. Where we go, He goes. That's a, that's a, that's a liberating, empowering truth, but it's also a scary truth. Because some of us have been at places that is a little bit embarrassing, right? Some of us have done things that's a little bit embarrassing. And God was right there with you. And so the blessing is, is that we need to all to, in light of that, is that God never leaves us. Amen. That we can be confident in that. Doesn't matter what we're going through, the hardship, the trial, heartache. There's a truth that surpasses, there's a reality that surpasses the, the things that we are experiencing in this world. Because we are living in a fallen world. We can't escape it. We're living in a world full of people making decisions that's not in line with God's desire, God's plan, God's will. And so by default, those are decisions of death, destruction. But we can overcome those things by responding differently to them. But again, the question is, is are you persuaded of these truths, of these realities? Are you persuaded of His perfect fear-casting love? Because your persuasion in this will determine the degree of victory you're experiencing. It's a question to ask. What is persuading you in life? What is persuading you in this life? What are the things that is persuading you? That are persuading you? Luke 16, let's go there. Luke 16, 31. You can go and read the context of the, um, the specific account. 
I'm just going to look at this, this one verse and zone in on this. But Abraham said, if they won't listen to Moses and the prophets, they won't be persuaded even if someone rises from the dead. Now this is an interesting, interesting statement. And like I said, there's a context to the statement, but you don't need to go to the context to, to realize the magnitude of it. If they won't listen to Moses and the prophets, it's talking about the scriptures, they won't be persuaded even if someone rises from the dead. Anyone here seen someone rise from the dead? Okay. My hand is risen. I haven't seen. Um, I'm yet to see. I've prayed for someone who, who, uh, who was dead and I didn't see them rise from the dead. And so uh, um, how many of you, you have prayed for someone who was dead to rise from the dead? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Good stuff. So uh, how do you ever see someone rise from the dead? How, how does that come to be? By praying for someone that is dead. Right? So you can't have the testimony if you don't step out and do what the Word is inviting us to do. That's a different topic, different story. But that is something pretty miraculous, right? You don't often see someone rise from the dead when you're praying for them. And so here the invitation is this, that if you're not, even, if you're not persuaded by the Scriptures, you won't be persuaded by someone who rises from the dead. Some of us are waiting for a sign, a miracle. We want a burning bush experience. We want open heavens before we step out on the things of God. But the scripture should be enough. The gospel should be enough. Too much of Christianity now is facilitating this, this environment that just strokes the flesh. It's carnality. It's not rooted in the scriptures. It's not rooted in the word of God, the gospel of Christ, which is, by Paul's definition, the power of God unto salvation. The goodness of God that leads people to repentance. So everyone wants to see a different world. Everyone, every Christian even would say like, I want this world changed. I want, I want more peace. I want less crime. I want less this. I want more of God to be manifest. But no, none of those people are preaching the gospel. None of those people are, are going out of their way to make the love of Christ known. The message of forgiveness of sins and justification through Christ. Because that is what leads people to repentance. A change of heart, a change of life. You cannot have a change of life if the root isn't changed. The root can only change through the love of Christ, the life of Christ living inside of a person. No sign can persuade as much as the abiding word of God. We need to stop seeking signs, miracles, and wonders. They are part of the Christian walk. Amen. But it's a, it's a result, it's a fruit of the main thing. Christ in us. The gospel of salvation. It's beautiful. Moses and the prophet, the scriptures, gave us road signs to the promised land. They gave us road signs. It wasn't... There wasn't an arrival. They couldn't have arrived because Jesus hasn't yet come. But it was road signs pointing to the promised land. And guess what? The promised land was never a destination. Because we are living in the promised land. I am, Etienne, I'm living in the promised land. Because God's Spirit is the promised land. God's Spirit living in the believer is the promised land. If you don't believe that, you will continually run and walk in this life seeking a better thing. Seeking something to fulfill, something to, to satisfy. Jesus told the woman at the well, if you drink this water, you will never thirst again. 
Never thirst again. Never have a desire. You will be satisfied. Jesus, God, said that if you partake of this, you will be satisfied. If you're dissatisfied here this morning, it's not because of God. It's because you don't believe what God said, what Jesus ministered, what Jesus made possible for us. Romans 14, 14, I know and am persuaded by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself, but to him that esteems anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. Just want to zone in here and focus in again on what are you persuaded by? I am persuaded by the Lord Jesus. Again, what persuades you in this life? Is it Jesus? Is it the word of God? Is it the invitation of the gospel? Is it partaking together of the gospel and maturing in your walk with God? Are you, or are you persuaded by that beautiful home that you want? Or are you persuaded by more money, more finances, a raise, a, a different position, climbing the corporate ladder? Are you persuaded by having more kids and, and uh, thinking that that's going to satisfy you? Are you persuaded by the, the, the beautiful picture of marriage and and how every marriage in the body of Christ is just a, a walk in the park. Jurassic Park, by the way. Um, <laughs> God's invitation and God's way, God's way isn't, it's not gray, it's not unclear, it's very clear. And Paul, a great example, said that he was persuaded by the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus is a specific context. It's not just like, Oh yeah, I'm persuaded by Jesus. It's being persuaded by the life of Jesus. What he lived for, what he died for, what he rose from, or what he rose for, and where he's living right now. Being persuaded by, being led by him daily in your walk. As you're coming, as you're going. If it's not Jesus and his gospel message that is persuading you, then you're setting yourself up for defeat. That's not a prophecy of doom and gloom. It's what the word teaches us. And you might be sitting here this morning, you're like, yeah, but I'm, I am persuading Jesus from time to time and like maybe 30% of my, my walk with, with in life is a persuasion and being persuaded by Christ. And 70% I'm just kind of at neutral and I think I'm doing pretty well. Like I'm experiencing victory. Like I would say like I'm experiencing victory. That's exactly where the devil wants you. Thinking that you're experiencing victory. Henku, for example, I'm going to use him as an example. He's a good example right now to use. Engel, for example, thought that he was experiencing victory in life. He had a good job, good career, doing well, good friends, good church. Amen? <laughs> but Engel was a guy wearing a, a left foot shoe on, a, on his right foot and vice versa. And he stopped and paused and wondered for a second, what am I living for? What am I persuaded by? Am I just persuaded by a better career with better pay, a nicer environment, all Christians, because then we can encourage one another every day when we're at work. That's oftentimes how Christians make decisions as to how, where I'm going to work. I'm going to go work in a place, an environment where there's just Christians because I need to be encouraged. I need to be encouraged in the Lord. And then I go back home and it's me and Jesus and we put a praise and worship on and it's amazing and we pray a little bit. We trust in God for that that other promotion at that same uh, work where there's more Christians and 
And I go to church and life group and it's just like, man, my life is so good because I just know Christians and Christians are amazing and we're just encouraging one another the whole time in the Lord. And then there are people in this world dying, not knowing Christ, living in defeat, and it's never going to change unless the Christian church wakes up and realizes what Jesus died for. A good word? Jeremiah 10, 23. O Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself. It's not in man that walks who directs his steps. You can be walking, you can be busy with your life and directing your own steps, but I guarantee you, you will not live the satisfied life that Jesus desires for you to live. You will not live the fulfilled life that Jesus died for you to live. There is no other way. There is one way. It's Yahweh. Philippians 3, 3, For we are the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. That's powerful. And uh, this is, uh, it seems like a contradiction. He talks about circumcision and he talks about no confidence in the flesh. Because circumcision in the New Testament, New Covenant is a circumcision of the heart. It's got nothing to do with the flesh. It's a beautiful picture of a reality that is unchanged. Right? If you don't know how the medical uh, um, works medically, if a guy is circumcised, you guys can ask Norma maybe afterwards. Uh, She's a medical student. How it works. If a guy is circumcised, you're not going to change that. It's a done deal. Right? The Word of God teaches that the believer has been circumcised at the heart. It's a done deal. You can be secure in your salvation. Even when you're unfaithful, God remains faithful. To keep us to the end. Do you have confidence in your flesh or do you have confidence in Christ and what He has done for you? What are you holding on to? What are you building in this life? Romans 4, 19-21. One of uh, my favorite passages of, of Scripture or chapters, Romans chapter 4. We're going to read from verse 19-21. to 21. And it says, And being not weak in faith, this is talking about Abraham, and it says, And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body, dead when he was about a hundred years old neither the deadness of sarah's womb he staggered not that the promise of god through unbelief he didn't waver james says a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways like a wave that is tossed to and through are you double-minded are you single-minded and it's again there's no there's no gray area it's either single-minded focused on christ or it's the other you're not focused on Christ. You're not growing in your identity and in your, your walk with God. And so, by default, you're setting yourself up for defeat. And defeat isn't just a picture of, of death. Like any, any, uh, any sickness. Just, if, just because someone's uh, being diagnosed with a specific chronic sickness that is potentially deadly, they don't die immediately, Right? Like it's a, it's a progression of and then the end is death. And so you might be sitting here this morning and that's the, that's the, that's the scheme of the devil. You're sitting here and as a Christian you, you're securing your salvation. You think like, okay, that's amazing. One day if I die, at least I'm going to be with the Lord. So there's not much I need to worry about. There's not much I need to fear. But Jesus defined eternal life not as just going to heaven one day, but as eternal life right now, right here, living in intimacy with Him. Knowing Him personally, intimately. So let's be, be persuaded by that. 
Let's cling to that. Let's hold to that. And it says, and he was about 100 years old and he didn't stagger at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith. Why? Giving glory to God and being fully persuaded that what he had promised he was able to perform. Abraham gave glory to God. His, his strength and his endurance, one of the keys to that was giving glory to God. So the question to ask yourself is, how much glory are you giving to God? How much of your life is a picture of Diana? She's a, I can see she's giving glory to God. Edelweiss, I can see. If I think about Edelweiss, she's giving glory to God. Or if I think about Nikita, she's giving glory to God. How much of your life represents a life that is giving glory to God? I'm not talking about Sunday when you're raising your hands in church when it's worship. I'm talking about your everyday life, your everyday walk. How much of that is giving glory to God? Expressing thanksgiving to God in every season. Pray without ceasing. And you can open up with that scripture in Thessalonians. Always giving thanks. Are you a person known for the thanks and the appreciation and the glory that you're giving to God? Not just in thanksgiving, but in the decisions that you're making. Every one of the boot campers, Idovaz, Senku, Thais, Anna did it. Uh, I don't know if there's any uh, um, graduates from, from, from boot camp. That's a life giving glory to God. A life that is carving out time. Doing ministry school. It's a life giving glory to God. Being at church. It's a life giving glory to God. But too much of our lives are such small percentages of giving glory to God. And we're thinking, man, that little bit is going to carry me through. If we want to become persuaded and we want to grow strong and mature in the things of God, we're going to have, our, have to ask ourselves this challenging question of how much is my life giving glory to God? And he was fully persuaded because what he had promised, he was able to perform. Abraham was persuaded by God's goodness, God's faithfulness. Abraham was persuaded because he saw God as a friend. What does that represent? Friendship, intimacy. Right? Some of us are considering God as this this distant God and like, if I'm not, if I didn't do too much good this week, then I'm going to get the cold shoulder, right? Or uh, if I did a whole lot of bad this week, I might get zapped with a lightning bolt and that's a different story. Do you consider yourself a friend of God? James 2.23, and the scriptures was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God and was imputed for him for righteousness and he was called the friend of God. Intimacy and knowing God as an intimate father, knowing him intimately through friendship, through fathering, is a key to you becoming persuaded in the things that he's invited each one of us into. The difficult invitations that he's going to give us, again, coming back to, to Enku. Um, Enku's going to go to Nigeria for about a year and a half or so. Um, that's, that's fun, right? Let's go to Nigeria. That's because that's how we should make uh, decisions as Christians, right? God is going to lead us on the fun paths. The paths of least resistance. He's going to lead us to careers where there's just a bunch of Christians because we want to encourage one another. No, God's will isn't for the Christian to become more encouraged. Even though that it's part of the body of Christ, there's encouragement. God's will is for the world to be saved and to come to knowledge of the truth. Both equally important. It's a two-sided coin. It's like a sword with two edges. Both need to be sharpened. We need to be challenged on both avenues. 
Yes, grow in knowledge, grow in truth, but also grow in you being a partaker and being a solution to the problem that there's a world that, yes, Christ died for, but they don't know it. So it only does them good if they come to know it. Because it's only in knowing the truth that you can experience freedom. Do you know the truth? Yes, you do. But there's a whole world out there that doesn't know the truth. The statistics show now currently it's still one third of the world. That's why we're going on mission trips to places where people haven't come to know the cross, the message of Jesus. Coming to a close, vitally important, a lot of us are missing out on this is drawing from the body of Christ. Philippians 4, 6-9. So you're talking about this victory and, and this choice of, of, of this, or these decisions that we get to make that facilitate more victory, more experiencing of this victory. And Philippians 4, 6-9 says, Don't be pulled in different directions or worried about a thing. Be saturated in prayer throughout each day, offering your faithful requests to before God with overflowing gratitude. Tell Him every detail of your life. Then God's wonderful peace that transcends human understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. Keep your thoughts continually fixed on all that is authentic and real, honorable and admirable, beautiful and respectful, pure and holy, merciful and kind. And fasten your thoughts on every glorious work of God, praising Him always. So just pausing there quickly before we jump to verse 9. That in and of itself is an invitation to so many decisions. Think on these things. Consider these things. Be thankful for these things. If our lives were molded by and kind of uh, uh, use these verses as kind of safety net, so to speak, or uh, barriers to prevent us from going off of the cliff, our lives would be a lot more peaceful if, we, if it was led by these instructions of Paul. And so there's many decisions in, that, that lies within verse 6 to 8, but verse 9 says... Put into practice the example of all that you have heard from me or seen in my life. And the God of peace will be with you in all things. How much of your life is molded by and instructed by people who've gone before you? Put into practice the example of all that you've heard from me or seen in my life. There's a blessing in being part of a community and looking to brothers or sisters who are walking or running the race. When you hear testimony of someone going out or uh, ministering the gospel and someone receives Christ or uh, going on a mission trip, all of these things, don't feel unworthy. Don't condemn yourself, but challenge yourself. Ask yourself, why am I not living in that degree? What's holding me back? There's an unhealthy comparison in the body of Christ, but then there's also a healthy comparison. Seeing something in someone else and saying, Man, they've got the same spirit as I do. What they're doing, I can also do. Why? Because it's the same spirit of Christ, the same will of God living in each one of us. We just need to yield to it. And that's why being part of community, we can challenge one another. We can instruct one another. Hank shared this in the voice note as well, um, how he's responded to. And I've, I've, I've seen this, him responding to difficult, challenging matters where I've challenged him on different things. And he chose to respond in an honoring way. In a way, honoring my leadership and submitting to my leadership and trusting me as his pastor. And each one of us gets to make those decisions and choose whether we are going to draw from the body of Christ 
the family of God, and whether we do or we don't, will determine the degree of victory we're experiencing. Philippians 1, 24 and 25 says, But for your sakes, it's better that I continue to live. So Paul had this, 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 this struggle and this internal kind of a struggle of like, man, I want to go be with the Lord, like Jesus. Like I've, I've experienced something, I've seen something, and I know it's going to be glorious. But then he was also like, considering this, knowing this, and I'm convinced that I'll remain alive so that I can continue to help all of you grow and experience the joy of our faith. It's better for your sakes. It's better that I continue to live. That's a decision of selflessness. But again, if Paul, right of two-thirds of the New Testament, considered this, this an important thing to remain with the church, to remain with the body of Christ, to help them grow and continue in their journey of growing and experiencing the joy of our faith, we have to ask ourselves this question. Am I going to sit under this teaching? Am I going to sit under this ministry? Am I going to be there where God has instructed people and invited people to minister to and help me grow and experience the joy of my faith? It's a decision each one of you gets to make. And you guys have chosen well this morning on a Sunday, being at church, being at this gathering, those joining online. But it's not just about Sunday. It's about every day of your life asking this question of like, how much am I inviting the body of Christ into my life to help me grow? In my walk with God and experiencing the joy of my faith. Last two passages of scripture. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. So now, beloved ones, stand firm, stable and enduring. This is a question of focus. Stand firm, stable and enduring. Live your lives with an unshakable confidence. We know that we prosper and excel in every season by serving the Lord. Because we are assured that our union with the Lord makes our labor productive with fruit that endures. Who here wants to prosper and excel in every season? Do you know how that's going to take place? What does the Bible say? I see some lips moving and it looks good. I'm not a good lip reader, but I... Prosper and excel in every season by serving the Lord. First and foremost, we invited into family. And in a healthy family, they're serving. In a healthy family, they're serving. As we're maturing, right? Like I use the example of Chris and Michael. They're not doing a lot of serving right now. But they grow up to serve their father and their mother. Why? Because they're experiencing love. They're experiencing fathering and mothering. And Jesus, the Son of God, came not to be served, but to serve. And so Jesus modeled that for us. And so if he did it, I can too also serve the Lord by serving the body of Christ and serving people out there in this world who has not yet come to know the love of Christ. Because that's the best thing that you can do for an unbeliever. It's not feed them. Even though if they're hungry, please feed them if you're able to. But the best way that you can ever serve someone is by giving them the greatest gift of all time. An eternal gift. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Popular passage of scripture, but let's... Uh, Let's allow the Spirit to just uh, cement and further seal this truth into our hearts. Therefore then, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses who have borne testimony to the truth, let us strip off and throw aside every encumbrance, unnecessary weight, and that sin which so easily and readily clings to and entangles us. And let us run with patience, endurance, and steady and active persistence the appointed course of the race that is set before us. There's a specific race set before the believer. 
There's not various races. Yes, each of our races will maybe look different, but the race is still the same. The aim is still the same. It's God's will. Salvation and people growing in the knowledge of the truth. But we get to determine and choose whether we're running that race that has been set before us. How should we run this race? Looking away from all that will distract to Jesus, who is the lead and the source of our faith, giving the first incentive for our belief. And is also its finisher, bringing it to maturity and perfection. He for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising and ignoring the shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Looking away, looking to Jesus. By looking to Jesus, you don't need to look away. By looking to Jesus and focusing on Jesus, you don't need to consider, what do I need to look away from? Right? Oftentimes we want to focus on the negative, and by focusing on the negative, we're focusing on the negative. Stop focusing on what you shouldn't do. Focus on what you are to do. Look to Jesus. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1 and 2 from the message translation beautifully communicates this, and it says, look what God does. And then you do it. Like children that learn behavior from their parents. That's the invitation. God is a loving Father and is inviting us to look to Him. Look to His life for you. Look to His life for the world around you. Come to know Him and you will overflow with love. Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith. I love how the Amplified Classic says, bringing it to maturity and perfection. Too often we want to do a whole bunch of things, do a whole bunch of courses to grow in our faith. But the only thing we need to do is become convinced and persuaded of who Jesus is. Paul said, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, I made it my goal to forget everything and to know one thing, Jesus Christ. And through this, through running our race and our lives like this, choosing to come to know Jesus and be challenged by everything that He was, is, and will be, we will be able to endure everything that is thrown at us as His children, as His sons and daughters. Because as He endured the cross, so we can too endure our crosses, carry them, carry them well. Because Jesus looked to the joy that was set before Him. What was that joy? To go back to heaven and have a good time in paradise and in heaven and having amazing buffets and living in a palace. Man, that's carnal. No, the joy was you and me sitting here this morning, celebrating the life we have in Him. Every person that He died for, giving them an option, an opportunity to experience true life, true victory. We get to run our races like that, looking to Jesus, how He ran, looking to the joy of me and you. And we can too look to the joy of others coming to know the love of Christ and living our lives in line with that. You can find more of our free teachings on our website, www.gracelife.ca. And if you're ever in the Tigerberg area, we invite you to join us for one of our gatherings. Our aim is to help you discover Jesus, find family, and experience life. To contact us, or to find out where and when we meet, visit our website, www.gracelife.ca.